Welcome to Innovative Legal Leadership, the podcast where you'll hear from the world's most innovative general counsel and their leadership teams for their insights into the running of a Fortune 500 in-house legal department. The challenges, the wins, the roadblocks, the journey to date, and most importantly, what lies ahead. Let's get into the show. Hello, listeners. In today's episode, I'm speaking with Michael Hoffman. Michael is the Senior Vice President and Chief Commercial Counsel, Deputy GC at NXP Semiconductors. Michael takes us through his journey right from why he decided not to become a pilot, his time in Singapore, one of the most difficult but rewarding. And you've heard me talk about before that opportunity to work overseas, take your family overseas. Also, he talks about um, what it's like to be a true business partner as a lawyer and not confusing that between just being in need. And then finally, the transition, if you like, from collaboration to co-elevation. I'm not going to say more on that um, because uh, I don't want to be a spoiler. So in the usual fashion, sit back, chillax and enjoy the episode. Michael Hoffman, welcome to the show. It's fantastic to have you on board. Um, I'm looking forward to our discussion. Thanks, Tim. Spending, uh, look forward to spending some time with you as well. Fantastic. Fantastic. Now, Michael, I know you're in Hamburg right now, uh, and I'm going to ask you to set the scene a little bit. Take us through your career arc. I know you've had a 16-year career at NXP Semiconductors, so take us through the before and through, and, and what stands out for you now? when you reflect on that career? I was indeed born and raised in Germany. That's where I still am today. That already you know, has gave me a bit of a different start into the legal career, different to um, what some of you other guests yep. um, might have talked about. Um, I was I was never attracted to, to law um, you know, in, in when I was younger. Yes. Um, I can't really say that that's been anything I've been uh, I've, I've dreamed about. Yep. Um, my, my father was really was an entrepreneur. He ran a you know, a medium-sized family uh, business, um, and I think in in, in hindsight, you know, I'm very grateful for for him to not ever wanting me or my brother to succeed him. And that he said, <laughs> "You guys are going to make your own decisions oh, about what you want to do." Yep. That left me in a bit of a, uh, a of a of a difficult situation because I had no clue what I wanted to become. Yep. I really what I wanted to become really really um, uh, was to become a pilot. Um, so that was really the biggest dream I had, and uh, I worked you know, a, a long time uh, in trying to turn that into into a reality. I knew all about the tests I had to go through, and I knew exactly which school that I needed to go to to become an airline pilot. But then I think, luckily, uh, I did an internship at, at an airport uh, during my, my time in school yeah. and uh, talked to a couple of pilots. At that time, that was still possible. Doors were all open. You could walk right into the cockpit and, <laughs> and talk to them. And I, and I talked to one of them and he said, you know what, it's really like driving a bus in the air. Yeah. It's very mundane type of work. Um, yeah. uh, but if you really want to do it, you know, go after it. But you need to have a love for STEM subjects in school. Yeah. And I knew that that's not going yeah. to be it for me. I don't have any sort of uh, interest in, uh, at least not a lot of interest in STEM subject at, yeah. at that time. And then again, it took me some time to really find out what it is that I'm interested in. And in, in hindsight, I think it's you know, some of these things only get clearer in hindsight yeah. and after you know, some time has passed. 
um, I think it's really been my uh, my uncle that has opened up you know a, a door for me to consider becoming a lawyer because he he himself um, was a uh, was a very sharp mind more the bohemian kind of person right. but he also had a very successful you know in-house career as uh, in the pharmaceutical industry um, and these two things really didn't go along for me very well when I saw him as a person and pursuing his personal interest while at the same time obviously being very successful in in the profession that that he's chosen so um i figured that you know if he can do that you know i i maybe can also be a lawyer and uh, i don't have to be like one of those you know very boring you know lawyers that uh uh you saw on, on german tv at that time you know german lawyers on tv were not you know as cool as uh, lawyers in us tv shows were at that time so i'm imagining michael you've got you're comparing the boring German stereotype lawyer with driving a bus in the air. And you try and think, okay, so neither one is sounding incredibly attractive right now. And certainly the pilot you ran into, he didn't really do a great job selling his profession, did he? But I think if, if I bumped into him again, I think I would say thank you very much for that. I don't really think that's been kind of the profession that would really have fulfilled me. The law, in fact, really has, or at least the 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 in-house work that I'm doing really does fulfill me. So I'm very grateful for that. So where did it take me from there? As it was a couple of other people, friends from school, who'd also decided to study law. So I thought, well, I'll just give it a try and see how it works. And I I started studying, and the system in Germany is a bit different to to the one in the US, and I guess also in, in Australia. So after we've um, gone through our, you know, 13 years of, um, of education in school um, at that time, um, you have the university, you know, entrance, you know, permit, so to say. So you're allowed to then study at the university, which I did. And you have, you have a, a, a free choice of university, universities you can go to. And I decided to go uh, a rather small university nearby the place that I lived at that time. Um, it was very cozy, you know, it was uh, not super ambitious you know, yeah. atmosphere. The, um, you know, people like to hang out and you know, have parties. And I, I kind of enjoyed that for, for some time. But then I also thought, am I really making best use of, you know, the time that I have while I'm now, you know, in, you know I'm studying and I can also you know, go different places and, you know, meet different people. So that's when I decided to uh, to move to a different uh, city in Germany, Heidelberg. Yep. It's super popular with tourists, but it's also the um, the oldest university in Germany and also one of, I think, Europe's most reputable ones. Coming there was kind of a shock for me at the beginning because people were very different. You know, the law students there were like second, third, fourth generation of lawyers already. And Everyone was very ambitious, you know, very much into it. Uh, already looking, looking for internships at you know in, international law firms, and I needed some time, you know, to to get used to that. But it also helped me tremendously. So I I also realized that I needed to you know up my game a bit, and it's it's something that I I really you know integrated uh, and and really learned for myself that I think if you you become better the more you surround yourself also with good people and ambitious people. By definition, humans, I think we we end up gravitating to the mean, depending upon the company you keep, the people you surround yourself with, the firms that you join, um, the work that you do. Um, and that's why you know, we talk about a high performance culture. 
because it, it does make a difference. It gets everyone um, upping their game um, and reaching new standards. So, and getting people a little bit uncomfortable too. So uh, I'd love, oh, yeah. love to hear your thoughts on that. Absolutely. And I, and, I, and I did a couple of these sort of comfort zone things then as well, which I don't think I would have really done had I stayed at the older yep. university. Because here people open up different paths also towards a, a broader sort of legal education. So people were talking about, you know, a, an opportunity to, to study abroad in Switzerland. Yep. So I did that for, for half a year as well. So I, I did, you know, I studied in French in, in Switzerland, which was horrible. My <laughs> French was really bad. So. But um, yeah, but you needed to present in French, and you needed to yeah. you know, to write your memos in French and all of that. It was it was uh, it was a great place to be, yeah. um, but it was also it was also tough. So opening yourself up to these kind of opportunities, you know, stepping out of that you know that 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 comfort zone is something really tremendously important. So tell me, what what in your career, if you were to highlight the stepping out of your comfort zone, which are the ones that stand out where you did that? The biggest challenge so far in my career, I believe, has been starting a position in Singapore, you know, for yeah. for yeah. NXP yeah. at that time. So yeah. I'd been with the company for a couple of years, been doing different things. The, the company had transformed, and you know, there were there were different opportunities opening up for me. But then at yeah. at some point, um, I got a call from my manager and said, "Well, Michael, what do you think about moving to Singapore and taking over? You know the." The APEC legal team. Yeah. What and what year are we talking about now, Michael? What what year? Uh, 12, 2012. 2012. Okay. 2012, and um, our our youngest one was just born. She was just a few weeks old. Yep. The other one were four and three. Yeah. So it's usually not the time where you want to you know dislocate your family and and go somewhere go somewhere else. But my, my wife and I we looked at it and, and thought about it and we immediately knew that we have to go. I think it's a perfect time. I, I mean, youngest is very young, but when the kids are young and you know five under five and so forth i actually think that's a perfect time um because uh, you know i've had this discussion with a few of my guests in relation to overseas experience and what an incredible time it is from a learning perspective from a bonding perspective your family um from the collective learning amongst your family i mean t i mean it, it is hard I, I presumably you don't regret it it's been a fantastic experience so if if i were to start with the happy end i mean that's it it's one of the best experiences yeah. ever and whenever we we talk about it as a family or we we go back to asia starting there going there was extremely hard for a couple of reasons first of all there wasn't really that kind of preparation that maybe companies do these days yeah. to prepare you for for going there and you know not only understanding you know the culture but also maybe really understanding the difficulties that might await you there. Yeah. And there were a, a couple of there um, um, that I wasn't aware of when I when I moved there, you know, in the team uh, and also in, in the organization itself. Uh, it, it, it used to be in the, you know, our regional headquarter at that time. Um, there were a lot of unwritten rules that I wasn't aware of. Right. You know, there were like atmospheric undercurrents that no one maybe even did know about outside of Asia and outside of Singapore. No one was there kind of to point that out to me. Um, there were a few that I would say even kind of was, were poisoning the well, uh, frictions in the team. So um, things were a little bit in disarray there. And um, then there was this person coming in from outside of Asia and you know, trying to instill a new sense of teamwork and you know collaboration there. So. Um, yeah. Um, I would say I wasn't. Um, I was. I was really trying to to build relationships, but that wasn't uh, reciprocated kind of the same way by the team. I would say. And then 
and then you get the personal side of things. You know, still they, they are young, um, and they, you're absolutely right. There's almost there's no better time in doing that than when your children are very young and they adapt super easily. But still, at the same time, you have a newborn there. It took us a long time to find, uh, you know, permanent accommodation. So I still remember that I, I had evenings really late at night, and we were in, in the service department, and I was I was ironing my shirt for the next day. Um, and I was wearing kind of a, a shoulder bag from my daughter with you know my, my phone inside to be able to put headphones into my ear. And then I, I was talking to friends back home and said, this is really, really challenging for me. And I thought, what what, what did I do to my family? Yeah. Why, 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 yeah. why did we go through all of this? How, how am I ever going to make you know, a legal team out of that um, that is going to be you know, really you know, streamlined and, and really lives our, our, our department's yeah. Yeah. values? And in the end, you're able to, to work through this yeah. right you you identify the issues and uh, made some changes to the team at that time recruited new team members you know worked hard on building relationships uh, in in the office at that time so um th those that i recruited at that time you many of those are still with us you know great lawyers great okay. supporters of our mission so in hindsight it's not really been that much of a big deal but i remember those weeks and months they were challenging and, yeah. and difficult uh, uh, i i can imagine know. i can imagine especially if there's a couple of things if the culture's not that right if there are the undercurrents that you've talked about if the if the personnel's not quite right what whatever it might be those first few um uh whether it's weeks or months um and that and then the reset that you have to go through um uh is always a challenge but always necessary um to uh well to, to achieve your goals to to get the team in order to get the culture functioning um set and functioning and, and get the team to high performance so i presumably mark you look back on that right now and i expect you look back on the period and the team with quite a bit of pride um am i right that's absolutely right, yeah. Jim. I do. Yeah, yeah. I do. Um, yeah. Yeah. Uh, now, I, I look back at that time also as you know, one of these opportunities that have been so incredibly uh, valuable yeah. you know, for, um, these, as you say, for for you know family, you know, bonding reasons, but also just as an opportunity just to to really grow and then expand your skill set. At uh, the time, you learn to work in a different culture, learn also to to. Yeah. You make these experiences as you work in different legal systems and in different cultures. Yeah. Um, that's um, that's something that us I, I'm I'm still you know benefiting from as yeah. of today as you know, tell, back here. And, and tell me a little bit about the cultural challenge because I think we underestimate that when um, when working in different jurisdictions, when living in different jurisdictions. That's something I know when I moved the family to the Middle East back in 2007, um, uh, I didn't really understand and appreciate um, how important um, the cultural challenge and being prepared for that and understanding the cultural differences. I didn't really have any appreciation of that before I started, but really learned very quickly um how important that was so t tell me about your experience there around the cultural challenge and what you what what you learned i suppose um uh, uh, and what you what you did to overcome or to understand better um uh, the cultural differences 
Well, some of these differences you just have no way avoiding but to learn it the hard way. By sticking your foot right in it. <laughs> sticking your foot right in it, absolutely. Yep. Um, yeah, but um, you know, many people have asked me, and they still ask me today. Say, Michael, you know, you are you know, a lawyer, you know, trained in Germany. You know, how, how come you know that you can work in in other jurisdictions, and in particular when we moved to Asia, they said, how how can you know, a European qualified uh, lawyer um, yeah. you work in Asia? You have no idea what the law is like in yeah. in China or Vietnam or South Korea. Um, the one thing I, I realized there is that the law is pretty much the same no matter where you go. The legal principles yeah. are basically all the same. Yeah. They're just you know they're just you know, codified differently. Yeah. But no matter where you um, where where you're trained or where you operate, irrespective of whether it's a common law or a civil law country, the basic the fundamental principles are the same. So what you learn in law school, I think in in, in, in Germany also gives you a, a good um, you know, sense of what the law should be like in China, for example. So um, I think going going into uh, into that role in another jurisdiction doesn't require you to be the expert yeah. for the local law. That's why you have local law firms for that can help you with that. Um, that's the one thing, uh, the first thing I, I really learned and was, was surprised. Um, but then if you go into really, you know, really implementing it or understanding how it, how it works in practice, you know, the differences are fundamental. Yeah. Yeah. So you can have, um, uh, and you know that Jim, of course you can have, you can work long, long time on negotiating an, uh, an MOU or, or an LOI and you call it non-binding and you have all the disclaimers in, in the agreement. And the moment it's signed, it's considered binding, you know, by your partners yes. because okay, it's a handshake, it's a sign of trust that has been established. Um, and um, the difficulties there for me have has been over time to communicate well to the headquarters on that. Uh, so they say, Mikey, but it's only non-binding. That's what it says. <laughs> they say, well, that's not the expectation, right, of your yeah. partners, and it's yeah. not. So, yeah. Um, and also the other way around. So sometimes it's been much better to be without an agreement with your partner than to go into lengthy negotiations yeah. with your partner and insisting on you know, a liability cap, which your know, corporate wants to see yes. or your you know, business line person wants to see. And say better, let's not better go down that road. Yeah. Yeah. I think we're better off with you know a battle of the form situation here than that. Yeah. And having that discussion with the headquarter isn't always easy. So it's uh, for for me it's been a lot of work of about educating also. Um, you know, our our internal uh, clients on um, uh, how strongly we would want to push for an agreement or not. Right? And then there's there's there have been issues in, in in countries where you simply need to go and you know retain outside counsel um, or third party advisors to help you maneuver you know through yeah uh, you know through the the, the you know the, the local landscape to really understand what's going on because many things going on and happening are not immediately visible to you yep. you really need to understand you know what's what's going on and, and look when i hear you talk about you know those those cultural nuances that makes me think about you know the skills lawyers need to be able to be great business partners talk a bit about that too for you what have you seen in your career what skills do you think you've had to develop and what skills do 
do, do you try and instill on, on those that you're working with so that the legal team can be a great business partner and each individual lawyer can deliver on that objective? Because it's it's one we all talk about being a great business partner. What does that actually mean? And what and how do you think lawyers can be successful there? I think we all consider ourselves to be great business partners, right? And um, we, we all say we have, you know, we have a seat at the table yeah. and we are in very high demand by our business clients. And I don't mean to say that that's not true. I think it is true. But um, part of that truth is also that we as lawyers, we need to I think, also make ourselves honest as to yeah. who we are as professionals and where we're coming from. And we've all gone through a very special kind of education. And no matter where we've been trained as lawyers in the world, we've been trained to focus on identifying and limiting risks. Yeah. Right. So we got that very well under control, the risk side of things. But I think we are, we're, we're then more challenged with the judgment calls and, and the more difficult situations. And yeah. and um, I think we need to be very, we, we need to pay a lot of attention to that as uh, as in-house lawyers, particularly that we don't mistake being in need by the business partners to go and advise on a topic than to be really, truly, truly yeah. business partners. Yeah. So for, for me, it means we really need to be on our toes, consistently need to be on our toes. As the business develop at an incredible speed, we need to do the same. We're starting to see you know, tendencies in the industry that businesses are starting to insource some of the services that we would as lawyers would have naturally said no that's kind of yeah you know, that's, that's part of our you know responsibility not yours but for various reasons they say no i think it's better be become part of you know of, of our processes as well so we, we need to make sure that they 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 don't look at us like um it's like going back in time when they talk to to lawyers yes right? and so for us to remain relevant i think we need to move beyond being business partners we need to be really 100% invested in the business. We yep. need to understand really where they are, meet them where they are. It's also something that we always say, but are we really walking the talk? So if we ask the business people whether we're really doing that, yep. would they all say 100% yes, you absolutely do. And the test for me is when companies form you know, cross-functional teams right, um, to solve you know, a difficult project. Do they immediately look to us as lawyers and say, "Can one of you know yeah. one of you lawyers please take over as project lead for this?" And I think we would say, "Absolutely, we can," because you know, no one else has this this broad overview of things going on in in the company. But they often very much very often also look towards you know strategy functions or yeah. or yeah. finance functions, right? And we need to understand we need to understand why that is. So for you, that's a sign of successfully executing the strategy of being invested in the business as a lawyer. If if they're looking to you to head up or be an important part of a cross-functional team to solve a problem, that's what you should be looking for. That's a sign, Michael, that you are more than a business partner, as you say, you are actually invested in the business. That's one. That could be one, and we we have that here in in our company. We had such an example indeed, where where one of our team members was asked to lead such a project, which is great testament, I think, to the fact that we do more than only provide legal advice. Uh, that, that's one. I would also think, um, you know, being consulted on absolute really non legal matters where there's zero risk involved for the company, but they want to just want us for brainstorming purposes. And and how can we make ourselves relevant is to have absolute intimate 
you know, know-how and understanding of the businesses and where they are. Not high level, but really understanding you know, where what stresses the key account team, you know, for example. Well, where's the financial risk for that business in the years to come? And in how much detail could we talk about it to others? Do we really understand it or do we only have kind of a high level understanding? You know, we see the businesses leveraging data and technology more and more. Tell me about how how you see legal teams doing that, leveraging data and technology, because I know when we spoke before, it's a bit of a pull and push getting the team to really actually leverage those two things. Give me your thoughts around that. Where are we? Where do we need to be? We're on a good path. We're not there yet where I think we could be or or should be. Um, I think it's going to be absolutely indispensable for us um, that we have ways to measure our performance. We've started doing that, but it's still a bit of a, a work work ahead of us. Um, so we, we're, we're tracking the obvious ones as well, like you know, many other companies as well. Um, we, while we also track, you know, a number of trainings that our team members have given. Um, we we track, um, you know, contract metrics. We, but we also track, you know, intranet you know, site visits to understand uh, how much do our clients actually go on our internal, you know, legal intranet sites, and where do they pull templates, and do they find information there that they need? But I think there's still both more opportunity for us still as in-house communities to embrace there. And again, for me, the 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 moment I would be really concerned is when businesses say, you know, working with legal is like going back in time. Uh, I absolutely don't want that. You know, I want them to come to us and they, they should have, you know, the, it, it should be the same kind of service level that they receive from us that they would also receive from the finance side uh, or the HR side. Um, and that presumably means both in both respects, the, the way you're delivering the service using technology and the, um, also the insights you're able to deliver through the use of data. So if, if you are leveraging those two attributes in the same way that the business is, then they're, they're certainly not going to be saying it's like going back in time uh, when we're working with legal. Um, tell, tell me about resistance. Do you feel resistance in the team in, amongst the lawyers about essentially changing, leveraging new tools, um, uh, focusing on ways to deliver services faster or using technology. Do you find any resistance out there, Michael? I wouldn't say that there is resistance. I think, again, I would need to come back to what I said earlier, that we are, and I include myself in that, you know, a, a certain breed. Yes. Um, when it comes to that, I think lawyers have... Um, sometimes the um, can have the tendency of keeping things to themselves. Right? We are not, I think we're not like marketing teams uh, that we are very much at ease in, in sharing information broadly with others. Um, that's an area I think where we can still improve. And let me just say one, one, one way that we're trying to approach that here, here at NXP, we have a kind of a cross-functional team within our department, uh, which we call the communications team. And that communications team has looked into ways um, to make, uh, you know, our, our mission statement really come come to life. Yep. And one of the elements in our vision statement is collaboration. Yep. So we said we need to take collaboration to the next level. And for us, where we've taken collaboration to is is co elevation. 
and not sure if you're familiar with that no. concept. Uh, it's one by by Keith Ferrazzi. You know, it's a uh, it's a it's a it's a thought leader uh, on that topic. Um, he's written a book about that. We've studied that book, and uh, it it really resonated uh, with us because um, kind of cooperation for us would really mean taking this a level higher um, and building relationships. Yeah, We're based on on the on shared goals that yeah. we have as a team. Yeah, and it's really about creating a you know, a, a community that um, supports itself uh, with people that are all invested in 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 the success uh, of the department or the company. Right? And by by having that culture of collaboration and 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 building trust, you know, everyone is going to enable the success of the the group, which then in return will also make each individual more successful. Yeah. And you, and you do this by also showing vulnerability to others, by being generous also in feedback that you provide. That's where we are. So with that concept of core elevation, we're trying to overcome um, some of the, the, the reluctance that we have in our team to openly share, which is not bad intent. It's just not nothing. I think that immediately yep. comes to our mind. It comes very natural uh, to lawyers. And sometimes it's about building new muscles and work out, working out how you're going to build those new muscles. But I... I love that collaboration and then co-elevation and um, ultimately the cross-functional work that you do and the shared achievement. That's what working in an organisation is all about. Fantastic insights there, Michael. Let me wrap up now with a couple of my favourite questions. What have you spent too much time worrying about in the past that on reflection has not been time well spent? Number one for me would be wondering about what others might think about me. And you also, I think there's there's been um, a lot of idealizing going on when you're younger. Yeah. You think, oh, that person, you know, look at that, how good he yeah. or she is, and, yeah. and how did, did he or she manage to do that? Um, and yeah, in fact, that's absolutely been something I've I've worried too much about yeah. in my career. Yeah. That also includes you no know, making mistakes, which is, uh, I guess, another very obvious one. Yeah. Um, Absolutely nothing that one should worry about. Yep, I, I agree. And finally, anything that keeps you up at night now? We live in a world of, of change, uh, obviously. So if there's one thing that I would I would kind of worry about, it, it is you know the geopolitical situation, the moment, the, the growing friction, the de-risking activities that we see going on that companies you know are, are considering at the moment, which hopefully will not you know spiral into an outright decoupling. Uh, of, of the globalized world as as we've come to know it, but you know, following those developments is is absolutely crucial for us. You know, and also yeah, as a semiconductor you know company, we are very exposed to that, so we're watching that very very carefully, and we we, we strategize a lot about you know what this is and uh, undertake scenario plannings to be to be prepared for that. That's one uh, on my team. It would really be to making sure that we we keep up with those changing circumstances. That's really it. It's a it's a great team. You know they they do exactly that. Um, I think we are we're, we're well placed. Uh, you know, we stay very relevant also in this um, in this changing world around us. Michael Hoffman, it's been an absolute delight speaking with you. Thank you so much for your time. Look forward to the next time that we catch up. Thank you, listeners, for tuning into the show. For more please subscribe to the show in your favourite podcast player. If you or someone you know would make a great guest on the show, please connect with me, Jim, the host of the show, via email, jim at pursuit 
P-E-R-S-U-I-T dot com. We'd love to hear from you.